Good morning. This morning we're wrapping up a series on uh, the spiritual disciplines. And uh, one more time, I just want to point out the logo to you. Uh, that's a zoomed-in version of the laurel wreath, which was the, that kind of leafy crown that you see Caesar wearing sometimes. But in Jesus and Paul's day, that is what the athletes would compete for. That was kind of the gold medal of the Olympic Games to them. And this represents what we've been looking at in, in, in this series, is that while our identity changes, the very first day we come to Christ, we instantly become his children. We're forgiven of our sins. We're, we're given the Holy Spirit. When we submit to him completely, we go through baptism, we become his disciples. All of that, are, who we are changes right away. But that's only the beginning in his big plan. The, the, the habits, the, the things that he actually expects us to do once we are forgiven and put into his kingdom, the things that he wants us to change in the world, all of that begins that day. As his children, we suddenly become his children. We have access to his house, access to his garage and all the tools in there, but he expects us to do stuff with them. And, and, and we cannot grow without using the spiritual disciplines. These are not rules that we follow. They're tools that we use. But it's Paul used the metaphor of athletes so much. And that's where the, this series is why we've used this. Um, just one more time, just really quickly, I want to just explain how this works. If you want to get stronger, let's say you want your chest to get stronger. I highly recommend push-ups. How many push-ups do you have to get, do to get a strong chest. All of them. I like that. You're right. Okay? It's not going to happen. If you just dropped right now and did as many as you could do, that's not going to change much in your life. But if you did as many as you could do, and later on today you did as many as you could do, and later on today one more time you do as many as you could do, and you did that for every day for the next year, how many you could do the, right, right now compared to then wouldn't even be close. And that's how the spiritual disciplines work. They are the ways that we connect with God. And why Paul uses the metaphor of athletes. In 1 Corinthians 9.25, he says, All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Believers have used these spiritual power tools forever, and the only reason, again, is because they work. They, they help us connect with God. They help us connect with His truth and His will and His power. I've already used this quote, and again, I'm just reminding you, catching you up. This is wrapping things up today. There's some fresh stuff, but just bringing us back. This is where we're going. Richard J. Foster is an author I highly recommend who writes a lot of really powerful and useful stuff about spiritual disciplines. But he says, disciplines are not the answer. They only lead us to the answer. They help us be transformed into his image. But this idea is also from Jesus himself who said, students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained, and training, by the way, takes a long time. You aren't fully trained in one day. You, you can enroll as a student in one day. You can pay your tuition and become a student. Your identity changes. Now I'm a student. You got a student ID, you're a student, but you're not fully trained the day you become a student. A student who is fully trained, says Jesus, will become like his teacher. And so all for the prize 
is the worldview of a true believer. All for the price is what we, how we live. This is what we do. We realize that we're not just trying to squeak into heaven at the least amount of effort. We're not trying to just barely make it. We're not, we're not trying to just take the part of salvation that allows us to not go to hell. We want the whole thing, and the whole thing has always been and always will be that we are building God's kingdom here on earth, not just waiting for his ultimate kingdom in heaven someday, that we are being transformed transformed into his image now long before we see him in all of his glory in heaven this has always been the gospel and it always will be the prize says paul is to know christ to know him now to have fellowship with him now to participate in his suffering to participate in every part of him now and then someday to even more fully know him in heaven So far, we've looked at pretty much all of the key spiritual disciplines. Today, we're wrapping up with the two that kind of kind of turn all of them on even more. They're, they're kind of like this fuel that just kind of takes every single one to the next level. And these are worship and meditation. Worship throughout the scripture is actually a little bit different than most people think. Uh, when, when I say the word worship, I'm pretty sure most of you instantly go to the part that we just did where we stand and sing together. And, and, and especially since I'm the guy talking to you this morning, you're probably assuming that that's going to be my big focus this morning. Like, here's how we sing. Here's why we sing the way we sing. Here's why you should sing loud. Here, here's why all you people that don't sing loud are sinning. That, that's not where we're going, okay? That, that's, that's not where we're going at all. In fact, I, I want to I just give you the absolute truth that maybe you haven't heard, maybe you've heard, I don't know, but I'm just going to proclaim it because this is truth. Almost every time you see the words or phrases that we translate into English as worship. Almost all the time you see those in the scriptures, it's not about singing. The, 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 you see worship, that idea of worship in songs. Two of the books in the Old Testament are songs. Actually, Psalms is a whole collection of songs. And, and you see that idea in there. But most of the time, if you just go throughout the scripture, if you get on BibleGateway.com and you, you search for the word worship, you're not seeing people dancing around singing or, or some of the things that we associate with worship. Here's what you're seeing. Surrender, allegiance, pledging allegiance to a king or to God, and obedience. That's what worship is, scripturally speaking. Those are the three things that make worship, worship. So if we are praying, and in our prayers, we're not just reciting prayers, we're not just saying prayers, we are truly saying to God, you are the king and I am not. And I surrender to you with everything I am and everything I ever have been, everything I ever will be. And you mean that. Then your prayer is worship. If you're not really saying that to God, you're just saying words out loud, then it's not. And in the same way, fasting. There's nothing that holy about not eating. Hungry people and lazy people and video gamers do it all the time. True story. 
But if you go without eating so that you can put that time and that money and that energy toward connecting with God, you're going to see that you're going to see something powerful happen because not only is that the spiritual discipline of fasting, but it's also the spiritual discipline of worship because you are surrendering to him. You're pledging your allegiance to him. You're committing to obey him. And the same thing happens when we sing together or when we take communion together or when we study God's word together or any of the other things that we do in our worship service. It's only worship if these three things are happening. There's nothing that holy. I love music. It's one of my favorite things on the whole universe. I love music, but it's not worship unless we are truly surrendering to God, pledging our allegiance to him and committing to obey him when we're done with this song. That's what makes singing worship. That's what makes anything worship. That's what makes service worship, giving worship, is when we are doing this out of obedience and surrender to our king, we are pledging allegiance. The most common things that you see people doing all throughout scripture, whenever it's attached to that word worship, is not singing, but kneeling or bowing down and then obeying. Those are the three most common ways people respond to God in an attitude of worship in Scripture. Richard J. Foster says, If worship does not propel us into greater obedience, it has not been worship. To stand before the Holy One of eternity is to change. Billy Graham said, The highest form of worship is unselfish Christian service. The greatest form of praise is the sound of consecrated feet seeking out the lost and the helpless. Pamela Haddix wrote, it's not enough to declare that God is holy. I must surrender all of myself to his holiness. It's not enough to claim that God is my Lord. I must surrender all of myself to his lordship. It's not enough to sing the songs of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. I must surrender all of myself to the one who gave himself for me. When you think about great worship leaders in the Bible, Gideon isn't one of the first ones that comes to mind, but he's one of my favorite dudes in the Bible. And I'm going to do my best to read this straight out of the scripture this morning. I'm reminded of where Paul says, see what huge letters I use as I write this in my own hand. If you read that passage, forgive me, but I really want to read it straight out of this this morning because it's just so powerful just exactly as it's worded. Uh, but it, this is the story of Gideon where he, God has called this guy to deliver Israel from the Midianites. And if you like stories, this one is a great one. Not only does it have some great particulars and action and cool stuff in it, but it's got several great story arcs. Story arcs, I'm sure most of you know, but just to make sure, that's where the character or the situation completely changes from the beginning to the end of the story. And at the beginning, he's a coward. At the end, he's a mighty warrior. At the beginning, Israel is completely dominated by this country called Midian. At the end, Midian is dominated by them. It, it, there's so many cool changes happening. And in the middle of the story, as he is growing, as he is changing, God does some pretty amazing things to convince Gideon that he can trust him, that, that, that it's really his voice telling him, you need to do this. And he does so many cool things, and there, there's, it's a great story. I'm sure if you've ever been to Sunday school, you probably heard this, you probably heard in sermons. This is my personal favorite part, just because it's so funny. But I want you to pay attention because there's worship mentioned in this. 
And, and, and normally we don't think about the story of Gideon as a place to go to talk about worship. But be listening for it. And, and you'll see why I'm using it today. This is out of Judges chapter 7. I'm going to start reading somewhere. The Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. That night the Lord said, Get up, go down into the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. But if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. So Gideon took Pura and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. The armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream, and in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if somebody told me a dream like that, I'd be like, and why are you telling me this? What did you eat? What is wrong with you? Listen to his response, though. His companion answered, verse 14. His companion answered, your dream can mean only one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all its allies. Of course, it could only mean that one thing. <laughs> a loaf of barley bed comes down and rolls over a tent. Of course, it can only mean that, yeah, gosh, that's amazing. But listen to Gideon's response. In fact, I want you to read this with me so it's up on the board. This is Judges 7, 15. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, Get up, for the Lord has given you the victory over the Midianite hordes. Do you see those three things? I'm pretty sure that in the middle of that camp, in the middle of the night, he's not getting down on his knees and going, okay, here we go. Keep deep. Do you know what I'm saying? He's not singing. He's not, he's not taking communion. He's not doing any of the things we associate with worship. But here's what he's doing. He is pledging his allegiance finally completely to God. This is his moment of absolute surrender. No more questions. No more tests. No more doubts. No more, no more jump through this hoop, God, do this, do this, and then I'll believe you. This is it. Total surrender, total commitment, and then instant total obedience. That is worship. So let's talk about meditation for a second. And just like when we say worship, we tend to think of singing. Most of us, when we think of meditation, we tend to think of something like this. But that is not what we're talking about. This kind of meditation comes from Eastern religions, Buddhism and Hinduism and things like that. And there's nothing really wrong. In fact, I think there's something like healthy about taking some time to just breathe and be aware of your own breathing or your own heartbeat to just relax. There's nothing really wrong with that in and of itself. But to see that as the way you connect with yourself and God and the universe, I'm not sure that that's as meaningful as some people believe it is. 
Here's my point, though. I'm not trying to slam that. I just want you to know that is not what Christian meditation is. Just like worship is bigger than just singing or just doing the other things we do in worship, meditation to a Christian, what, what it's talking about when the Scripture mentions meditation is something far bigger than that. Again, Richard J. Foster says, Eastern meditation is an attempt to empty the mind, Christian meditation is an attempt to fill the mind. The purpose of meditation is to enable us to hear God more clearly. When you sit on a rock somewhere, and I, I, I never can't even do it. I always end up with like Spider-Man hands somehow. I, I just, I, even when I'm just, I don't really try to do it. I'm just, I can't, never mind. When you're trying to just focus on yourself, when you're trying to just be aware of yourself, that's kind of an empty thing. To focus on. And, but, but the goal of that is to try to just empty your mind of all the stress. Just kind of let it fade away. There, there's nothing. You just pretend it's not there kind of a thing. But Christian meditation focuses the mind. Instead of just being centered, feeling centered, whatever that means. We center on specific verses, specific truths, specific prayers, specific questions that we're bringing before God. We're listening to him, maybe getting out some things that we can write things down or draw while we listen so we can come back to that later and really, really wrestle with that even more. We allow ourselves to think, to feel, and to truly engage with the truth in Scripture. It's not meditation when you just rattle it off. It is meditation when you really think about what it means. How many times have you heard somebody, for example, a, a child or a teen or an adult, any, anyone, any age, just kind of rattle off John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Have you ever heard this? Maybe you've done this? Come on, somebody has. There's a, I'm asking you, Rachel, this is almost all of us in here. There we go, good. You're paying attention. Meditation is, is different than that. It's not just going back over it. It's really thinking about it. And it can start and be as simple as just going to something you already know, but just taking it through again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You just slow down. You think about each thing and you go, oh, oh, oh. Did you feel that? Do you see the difference? It starts there. It's not just getting rid of everything else so you can't concentrate. It's just jumping right in and concentrating. It's jumping right in and say, maybe saying a prayer and saying, God, can we do this together? Can you show me? Can you walk me through this? Help something jump out of here that I need to hear today. Holy Spirit, speak to me as I read your word today. Meditation is simply really, truly engaging. it. So, again, worship is all about allegiance, pledging allegiance, surrender, and truly obeying. Meditation is truly engaging. It's, it's when you're not just saying a prayer, you're really talking to God. And I could go through the whole list again, but these two things just, they, they enliven every other one of the spiritual discipline. They can make almost anything become a spiritual discipline. You can take a walk 
but meditate on one verse or one truth or one thing about God. And that walk becomes an act of worship, an act of meditation, a chance for you to interact with the Creator. But make no mistake, there's a lot of singing in the Bible. And if you're looking at all, if anybody's paying attention today to the um, handouts in the, in the bulletin, I've actually given you a lot of scriptures this time because there's a lot of stuff on all of this. And there's a whole bunch of stuff about singing, for example. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, at key moments, people would just stop everything and write a song and then learn it, and then they'd all sing it together. This happened right after the Israelites passed through the Red Sea, for example. Like I mentioned earlier, two Old Testament books are, are music. Psalms is a collection of songs they sang in worship. And all throughout Psalms, it talks about not only sing this to the God, or it'll say sing this to God, or it'll say worship God with this truth, meditate on this truth, right in the lyrics. Not only that, it mentions specific instruments, stringed instruments, and drums, and loud clanging cymbals, for example. It, it, the worship and singing is a big part of Scripture. There's a big list right here. One of the ones in the New Testament is Colossians 3.16, um, and it says this, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. And again, this is, this is what all of the spiritual disciplines are about. It's making it part of a, who we really are. It's letting God actually change us till that is the core of our identity. It's not just who we are in name or we have that student ID. This is us. We are like Jesus now. That's the goal. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. The musician in me wants to talk about music the whole time, but I'm not going to this morning. I hope you get it. I hope you know it's important. I hope that when you're really worshiping, and I think you know what it's like, to, the difference between singing or just waiting for the singing to be over and actually worshiping in song, there's a difference, and all of us have experienced at least two of those. But I want you to know something. Jesus loved all kinds of worship. He also accepted shouts. He accepted poured out perfume, foot baths, people laying their coats on the ground for his donkey to step on. In fact, one time when people were doing this, he, he said that if they weren't doing that, that the very rocks would cry out. But again, every single thing that Jesus talked about with worship was not so much what songs he liked or things like that. It was, is it real? Is it really pledging allegiance and obedience and surrender? Isaiah 1 Verses 10 through 18 is another passage I've put in the, in the insert, and I hope you will just really truly meditate on that later. Take some time and look at this. It's a scary passage because in this passage, God through his prophet Isaiah is speaking to his people, and at this moment in history, he says, I hate your worship. I wish you would stop. I don't like your burnt offerings. Your prayers nauseate me. It's very similar to the message that Jesus gave through John in Revelation when he told the church in Laodicea, I wish that you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I want to spit you or vomit you out of my mouth. I'm sickened by this. 
This is a place we never want to be. And in this passage, the reason God hates it is not because they're doing it wrong. The sacrifices, the songs, the lighting, the candles, and all the things they're doing, trying to please God, they're doing all that right, but they are also worshiping idols. And they're ignoring the poor, and they're ignoring the widows, and they're indulging in sin, and they're not repenting, and they're not obeying, and they're not truly following him as their king. And so he said, you know what? I'd rather you just not do the ceremonies at all if you're going to keep leading and living this way. That's a haunting idea. So when we come to God and we, we, we take just even just our prayer, even just our time alone, it, it doesn't have to be a long, big production. It can just be an honest prayer. But when we do this, when we do it in true worship and true meditation, Together and on our own, it can literally change our lives. There's a man named Bob Pierce who came to God with a very simple prayer. He said, let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. Let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. And he started to pray this, to meditate on it, to truly surrender to God, to pledge that he would act on this if God would show him what was breaking his heart. Just like back in Isaiah's day, guess what God put on his heart? Helping the poor, helping the starving. This is the guy that founded World Vision. Ever heard of that? Not only did World Vision and the things that he did with the whole rest of his life make an impact, but many others have been inspired because of their ministry to do similar things on a much grander scale. The songwriters at Hillsong, back to music, it all swirls around. They got inspired by that prayer, and they worked it into one of my personal favorite worship songs. And there's nothing like singing a prayer for someone who actually likes music. But when, you, when all of this comes together, and this is always the dream, when, we're, when we, we never just want to give you a chance to sing. We want to give you a chance to worship. And singing is supposed to be a chance to not only worship, but also to meditate, to focus on the truths of God, to pray, to do all the things that we're supposed to be doing together. The music is supposed to be doing that. And I don't know about you, but when I sing, break my heart for what breaks yours, everything I am for your kingdom's cause, something shifts. And that's what it's about. That's true worship. That's true meditation. Not just that feeling, that moment, but when it's real and you mean it and you, whatever it is that means the most to you, fasting or praying or whatever, and you do all of that and it actually changes how you live. Today I'd like to close with a prayer. and I, This is my prayer for you and I'd like it to be your prayer for each other and your prayer for me. I'd like us to pray this prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians. We'll even pray it as we read it. We're going to go through this slowly. This is, this is, there's nothing left except this and an invitation. But I'd like you today to try this, to kind of put all this together. Let's really pray. We're going to take our time going through this scripture, and we're going to really pray it. Really talk to God. Really think about what these things are happening. Let it all happen at the same time. But let's genuinely pray this for each other as we go through these verses. Let's try it. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, 
He will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. This morning I ask you to surrender completely to Christ. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time in a long time, maybe just you know that you should be officially joining this this group for some reason. Whatever it is, we want you to come to Christ. If you would like to pray, here's what we're going to do today. If you come forward, please somehow tap me on the shoulder or let me know so that I don't miss it. Sometimes I miss it, and I don't want to do that. I want to, and, and we'll make sure that me or someone will pray with you. What we'll probably do is head out to the back or kind of go off to the side and, and pray with you in a moment, um, unless you want to pray publicly right here. Either one of those is available. We'll pray with you as a congregation. You've seen us do that several times. Or we could even just, just we'll, we'll, we'll go off and pray with you a little bit. Either, whatever you need to do, but if you've got a, a decision that needs to be public, as, as we stand and as we sing together, Let's make sure that this is real worship this morning. Let's make sure that we are pledging our allegiance to our king. We're not just saying lyrics or, or just waiting for them to be over. We're actually praying these. This is one of the reasons why whenever I lead worship, I, I almost always say something to the effect of, you know what, if you don't like singing, would you at least say the words? Would you whisper them? Would you pray them? Or would you pray different words or something? But would you pledge your allegiance to God as we do that? And if you need to make a decision to do that this morning, please do that as we stand and sing together.